0: And welcome everyone to today's episode on the podcast. We're over 20 episodes in, and I am so proud of what we have achieved. And it's really, really important for me to celebrate all of the small successes. I never knew what to expect when I created the Menopause and Cancer podcast. When was it going to be successful? I knew I was only ever going to speak to a small audience. I mean, You know, people who are affected by menopause and cancer, surely there can't be so many. But I am so grateful and also upset in equal measures by the fact that we're in the top 5% of all podcasts and our download numbers have been... Mind-blowing, way more than myself or anyone in my team have ever expected. And that's brilliant because as a podcast host, that's great, right? But it also saddens me because it means so many of you need the information that I try to get across in all of these episodes. At the same time, I get asked all along, how do you manage to stay so positive? What's in your menopause well-being toolbox? And I've realized that I actually haven't come on myself onto this podcast. I know I share from personal and professional experience in the many episodes. We have lots of brilliant guest speakers on and they all give me their time, which of course is excellent. And they can really elaborate on their expertise and whatever that might be. And I share also from personal experience along and I drop in little nuggets of what happened to me or how I felt. But i realise so many of you don't actually know my story, what is in my wellbeing toolbox. And let me reassure you, I don't feel I am this positive person all along and all day long and every day. And that's really important for me, for you to know. I've got my ups and downs. And at times this whole menopause malarkey is really tricky to manage. And at the moment, I'm sat here in my podcast office, shall I say, and I've got really itchy thighs. And if anyone knows about you know itchy skin, that's a real annoying symptom of the menopause. And actually, it's my calves and my shins that get really itchy. My thighs sometimes get really itchy. And it's just really frustrating and also quite painful at times. But um, I'm talking to you now and so I'm trying to not scratch because you might actually hear that (laughs) through the microphone and so that's a good thing for me to keep my hands away from my itchy skin but I'm going to take you back and I'm going to take you into the development of my well-being toolbox a little bit it's not going to be a super long episode but I hope for you you can maybe draw on some of the nuggets I've got to share with you today And so after my active treatment for my triple negative breast cancer back in 2013, I felt very much left alone. My appointments with the oncologist and the breast care nurses suddenly became three monthly. I was going from, like many of you, daily radiotherapy to that's all we can do for you. And we'll see you in three months and look out for any weird symptoms because that could be a cancer recurrence. And I felt so so panicked and my worry of having a recurrence was all consuming. Physically, I had recovered quite quickly and I felt back to a good level of strength. I started to walk throughout chemo and then a friend of mine started to take me for very gentle runs and I started to do some jogging, some leg running. And so that really kept me going and really built up my strength. It wasn't much, but I put my trainers on and I I got out there. And some of you might not even call it a run because it was definitely more of a trot as much as you can and then walk again and then run a bit and then walk a bit. But I went and I did it. And that really helped me build up in the early days. And so my physical health was okay, but my mental health was so, so all consumed by this worry that my cancer would come back, that I would not see my children start school. I wouldn't see them maybe through their first day of school, walking through the school gate. The three kids were little. Rosa was four, the twins were two. And I really had that mental health struggle. And so what I did is I threw myself into Google. I don't think I was on Instagram then. No, I threw myself into Google and I was reading up on all sorts of things that people can do to stop their cancer from coming back. And obviously diet comes up in so many ways and forms. And there are clinics in Mexico came up and diets where you do a lot of cottage cheese sort of diets and loads of loads of different things came up. But one thing that I sort of got obsessed by is, I guess, a plant-based diet and removing loads of things. And so from one day to the next, my Mental health was so shocking. I didn't come up with a plan or anything. It was literally from one day to the next. I stopped and eliminated many, many food groups. And I would not advise anyone to do this. And I don't think it was helpful at all. If anything, it added way more stress to my whole nervous system because it wasn't a gradual, let me plan this, let me do a meal plan down. It was a gradual from one day to the next. You're not going to eat any meat products, no dairy. You're not going to have any gluten. You're not going to have anything that contains anything man-made or a preservative or any additive. So anything that was ready-made was out of the question. No added sugars, alcohol. I probably have forgotten things, but I eliminated so many food groups from one day to the next. And initially what that did for me is it gave me back a lot of control, as you can imagine. I'm sure many of you are aware that control is a big element when we talk about yeah, food or dietary disorders and anorexia and things like that. And so I really think I want to talk about it with a lot of caution because the control I so desperately crave that I was giving back through my regimented eating wasn't really helping because a little bit further down the line, my family sent me on a fantastic course. It was a nutrition in practice diploma at Leith's cookery school. And that was brilliant because it helped me look at diet as an overall factor. And it's helped me sort of stop obsess about eating a little slice of cake and nonsense like that. And so I would say after a little bit of education through that nutrition in practice diploma, my diet became really sound and really tailored and very much bespoke to me and my needs. And I had help from a nutritionist. I had help from a dietitian. And I would say my diet then was at an all-time high. And at the same time, my mental health was still at an all-time low. The reason why I want to address it is because when my diet was so good, my mental health was still poorly. And so I realized then that I needed more to feeling good than one element. And if that one element is your diet bucket, let's put all of our toolbox sort of elements into buckets if you've got your diet bucket and how you eat and I feel like there is only so much you can do within that and I think diet has lots to answer for and there is a lot we can do with diet I'm a real believer that food can be your medicine in whichever way you want to interpret that it was an integral part for me but it wasn't everything and it didn't make me feel amazing on different levels and that's important for me to recognize. Of course, then I didn't know that. It was the control I needed at first. I regained that by being so regimented, but that control also gave me hope. And I think it's important that I also mention that because that hope meant that I was becoming more hopeful to be on the right path. I was becoming more hopeful to be actively doing something to reduce my risks of a recurrence. My doctors had done their bit. They'd done all the tricky things with chemotherapy, radiotherapy, multiple surgeries. They'd figured out what treatments were available to me and which weren't. And when they came to an end, I knew I had to take over. I started with diet. And as I've just explained, I didn't get that right immediately, but it was a journey and it's still unfolding as I'm talking to you today. But when that mental health was so low, I remember my mother-in-law ushering me to my first yoga class. And she lives close by and she said, Danny, I pick you up on Tuesday evenings and you'll come with me to my local yoga class in a church hall. And I don't think I would have gone if she hadn't picked me up. And Dee is a wonderful, wonderful woman and I've got a fantastic relationship with her. And so I went because I knew I don't know why, but you know, people always talk about yoga being helpful and yoga having so many benefits for your physical and mental health. And so I just went along, and the first few sessions were awful because I was still wearing a wig. I was so worried my wig would slip off in Downward Dog. There were lots of different people, lots of older people than me, lots of really mixed people, and I couldn't really relate to anyone I felt so isolated I felt so alien and I think a lot of us feel like that once we've come through sort of a difficult situation like active treatment I didn't want anyone to know about my past I didn't want my yogis to then know that I had just been through cancer I didn't want anyone to feel sorry for me and I didn't want I didn't want anyone to know so I covered up uh, on some days I even wore a hat over my wig because I I thought that would you know, be a bit more easier to keep the wig on my hat, and I was hot, and my toenails had all come off through chemotherapy, and so I didn't want to take my socks off because I had really monkey, monkey toes, and so it, I was all consumed by really how I looked. But after two or three sessions of yoga, I realised that actually. I had an hour or an hour and a half on the mat where I wasn't all consumed by this riddled, riddled feeling of anxiety, of panic, of worry that my cancer would return. And so before yoga gave me any physical benefits of regaining my strength or anything like that, it tapped into my mental health. And the combination with that mental health aspect and me before then tinkering with diet became really powerful because I suddenly opened up another bucket, my exercise bucket or movement bucket. And in that movement bucket, I put a physical movement routine, but actually that bucket doubled up and then became also my mental health bucket. And yoga is still integral for me to keep sort of on top of my mental health and yeah it's quite amazing how that happened because I never anticipated it to unfold that way and I think the same happens for people when they're out walking when they first start other exercise programs whatever you might think you need to do to get your body moving because we all know we should move our bodies more than perhaps we do There are side effects or side benefits. And for me, the side benefit of yoga was definitely the improved mental health. Now, I need to be really transparent here. That didn't mean that my whole day was suddenly anxious free. No, I was still having this parallel thinking of, you know, I was really busy. I took the three kids to school. The twins were on scooters. They were scooting into different directions. One would go over the roundabout. The other was... A little bit further back in a tiz and then I had my older one already at the school gates and so I was really busy keeping the kids safe. We had busy social lives and at the same time of being busy I had very destructive, very intrusive thoughts. I saw the Macmillan nurses, I saw my end of my life, I saw my cancer recurrences, I saw doctors telling me your cancer has come back and Although I knew that were illusions, my worries are illusions. They were intrusive and they were catastrophic and they were so real to me and they were really sort of very debilitating for a long period of time. And so even the yoga didn't take that away in everyday life. But what I've realized was the yoga can help me manage when I'm on the mat. And the hope it gave me from that is that If yoga can help me have less anxious and intrusive feelings whilst I'm practicing yoga, then there must be something that can help me get to that state, even when I'm not on the mat. Initially, for me, that meant to do more yoga. And with the same teacher, Claire Weatherly, who taught me my first many, many yoga years, I then did my yoga teacher training and I decided then to run my first Sunday evening yoga class a few, quite a few years back as well now. And now I run weekly yoga classes on Zoom and in real person in our studio in Isha in Surrey. And of course, run lovely retreats, uh, multiple yoga retreats every single year. But with my diet bucket, with my yoga and exercise bucket, and now that having opened up the mental health bucket, i realized that there are different buckets that i needed to tap into for an improved sense of well-being and bearing in mind for all of you listeners who do know or don't know that was before i was put into surgical menopause because that came a little bit later but i'll fill you in with that as well now that mental health bucket i had opened it through yoga but i hadn't completed it i felt and so for me there was counseling was a big part that needed to go into this mental health well-being bucket. I had different counsellors. I had one given to me by the hospital where I was treated. I then had another one. And then when that came to an end, I had another counsellor who I paid for privately. And this third person was amazing because she used a multi-angle approach. We did some CBT, cognitive behaviour therapy, we did some digging around in my past, we looked at my family, there's loads of different things we uncovered. And it gave me a time in my week or fortnightly, where I was able to just release all my fears and where I wasn't feeling stupid for having all those feelings. Because as time goes by, and as months go by, and then maybe a year or two years go by, really, for my surrounding, my family, my friends, I had done it. It was like, yeah, we celebrated Danny's end of chemo. We celebrated even the first year all clear. And yet, emotionally, I was still so drained with so much fear. But of course, after a while, you can't have those conversations with all your friends and all your family all the time anymore. I was riddled with those thoughts every single day still. But of course, people don't want to engage with this all the time because they kept saying, but you're fine now. Like, let's look at the positives. You've went through this terrible time and you're okay now, which is amazing. And so, of course, I stopped talking to people about all of my intrusive feelings and my low mood and all of my worries. And counselling allowed a space for this to come out. And actually, this third counsellor that I absolutely loved engaging with When we started our first conversation, she said, Right, let's start, let's start at the beginning. And I said to her, the 6th of February, 2013, I was diagnosed with cancer. And she stopped me right there and said, Danny, there must be more to you than just your cancer diagnosis and what happened after. And that sentence really hits home. And that sentence has added an integral part of my mental health bucket and my toolbox, my mental health toolbox. Because from that moment onwards, I decided and I realized that I can't be defined by cancer. And later on, that really helped me in knowing I'm not going to be defined by menopause either. Because no one thing alone in my life will ever define me. And I don't want anyone else to do that as well. And that was a real important wake-up call to me. Of course, there is a lot more to me. There are 33 years pre-cancer life, and I've got a lot to share from those 33 years. And this was me too, and I live that. And it's not like I've started my life again from when I was first diagnosed. And I'm not sure if that resonates with any one of you, but it was really important for me that I didn't let anything define me. And so something else was added to my mental health toolbox. And then the fourth thing that I need to add to my mental health toolbox was I tried loads of other things. I tried hypnotherapy, for example, and that was amazing. I had tuned in to the same healing hypnosis, not for weeks, not for months, but it was the same healing hypnosis by a hypnotherapist. It was free online every single night. And my husband and I had this joke at home and he kept saying, I'm not just going to bed with Danny. It's me, Danny and Mark, the name of this hypnotherapist. And we were laughing because every evening I would plug myself into this meditation and I allowed the healing meditation sink into my drifting off consciousness. And in the times where I couldn't sleep, I plugged myself into the same meditation and it was like a lullaby It was soothing. It was really, really important that I did something for my subconsciousness as well. I felt like if I allowed all those healing words into not just my days where I actively do in my days, I did diet in my days, I did yoga in my days, I did counseling. But in the time where I drifted into sleep in my almost subconscious mind, I also needed to do some healing or that's how i felt i'm sorry if that sounds crazy but that healing hypnosis was so important to me and so i seeked out this hypnotherapist and i went to do a short course it was only a four sessions i think it was of hypnotherapy and i remember leaving the last session i was walking across waterloo bridge it was a cold winter's day and the sky was really blue And I got to the top of the bridge approaching Waterloo. And I thought, I must remember all of this. I I want to tell Tim, my husband and my mum, everything that happened in this conversation. And it was so, I don't know, enlightening, it powerful. And as I stepped onto the bridge and I had all the buildings and the big river either side of me, I forgot everything that has happened. And I just felt as light as a feather, like I had springs in my steps and I felt I had released decades and decades of baggage that I kept carrying around on my shoulders and it felt incredible. And so that was really another really important part of my well-being toolbox. And I wanted to share that with you because so many people say, oh, hypnotherapy is rubbish and it doesn't work. And maybe it doesn't. I don't know the science and the ins and outs. In fact, we should do a podcast episode on it But to me, it was really important. I plugged myself into this same healing hypnosis, which is why on this podcast, I also have meditations. Because through yoga, I read so many meditations. I know how powerful it was for me. And hundreds of my clients tell me how soothing and helpful it is for them. And so if you want to scroll down through the podcast episodes, go and look for some of our meditations, because I've specifically recorded them for people in menopause after cancer, and you might plug yourself into the same meditation every evening for a long period of time, and that's okay. So I had these three lovely buckets. Of course, we also have many other buckets, but for me, that's sort of how it evolved in my timeline. And after that, I then was confronted with making another decision of what am I going to do about my ovaries and my boobs I had found out I was a BRCA carrier and that genetic mutation means possibly more breast cancers and a high, high risk of ovarian cancer. We have a really high ovarian cancer rate in my dad's side of the family with none of the women making it to any more than 55 years of age. And so I knew my ovaries had to go and it was the right thing for me to do. Now, you might be at home thinking, I am a BRCA carrier, but it's, I can't let go of my boobs or ovaries. And please don't let my story influence you in any way. It's a decision you need to make with your healthcare team and your family and with yourself. But for me then, and remember, I was lucky enough to have completed my family. So for me, I had other questions than a woman would have before she completed her family history, for example. So from the initial diagnosis of my cancer all the way to me deciding to let go of my ovaries was five years. And in those five years, I'd known I was a BRCA carrier, but it's taken me five years to get feeling better, get to feeling better, get to that age of around 40, which was when many of the medical professionals said it's a good idea to have that ophrectomy, they call it. And by then I had already been in the wellness scene, because what happened with starting the yoga and with all of the food, I'd become sharing that and I'd started to host loads of workshops with experts, a bit like now I do on the podcast. But before COVID, I did all of that in real person. And we gathered loads of women into seminars, into workshops um, around the kitchen table. We cooked together, experts taught about their areas of expertise, and it was always really fabulous. And so when I got to decide my ovaries are going, I had a date in my diary. I knew my immediate surgically onset menopause was about to happen, and I had a day with it in the diary. And so I knew I needed to add to my buckets because I knew I needed to perhaps or probably look at drawing into medical treatments as well to help me manage my menopause and that is medical hormonal treatments and they could be systemic hormone replacement therapy or uh, vaginal so topical estrogen and there are also loads and loads of non-hormonal medical treatments and if you look back into my podcast episodes it's podcast episode number one with the amazing Dr. Anis Mukherjee, who speaks about all the non-hormonal medical treatments, because I know so many of you ask for them. And so I knew I had another bucket to fill. And I knew that bucket wasn't going to be filled by one menopause specialist alone. I had to seek out multiple menopause specialists. I went to the top surgeon that works very closely with a fantastic charity, the Eva Peel, Dr. Martin Venter who did my surgery and asked him everything he knew about ovarian cancer, about how to manage menopause with the BRCA gene, how to manage menopause after a cancer diagnosis already. And I seek lots of different doctors. One thing I also made sure of is that I had a menopause specialist appointment booked in way before my surgery, because I knew I needed to talk and be totally informed about what I was going to do in managing my menopause and what my options were before anyone would even go near my ovaries. And that is something I'm really passionate about sharing because I know so many people are plunged into menopause through surgery or through other treatments and they've had no one warning them about what might happen or giving them the options beforehand. And so women are often filled very much alone, like they've been pushed off that hormonal cliff And I wish someone had talked them through that medical bucket. What medical solutions do you have available to you? Are they hormonal or non-hormonal? And that opened for me a huge bucket. And I'm really, really passionate about bringing in all of the experts who can share about their expertise. Because if someone is suddenly diagnosed with osteoporosis, for example, after being on long-term anti-endocrine treatment, We need an expert in talking to us about the solutions, because otherwise we think we're just going to fall to pieces and there's nothing we can do and our bones are going to crumble. But there is so much we can do. We just need the right expert. And so in my medical solutions bucket, I want to throw in as many experts as possible. And I want to share those with you in all of the episodes on the podcast. And then, of course, another bucket needed to become the complementary medical bucket. And that includes herbal medication, for example. So if you think of complementary treatment options, what do you think about? Many people think about herbal medication. Some people think about, um, like, tell me, give me, I've just gone a little bit blank. But herbal medication is one. Cognitive behavior therapy is another Cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia is another. Acupressure, reflexology, acupuncture, all of those are part of our sort of complementary things. And whether you believe in these things or not, I don't really mind. But I'd like all of us to be a bit more knowledgeable about them so that we can make better informed decisions. Because it also very much depends on how are we wired until we get to this point in our lives where we have to make a decision. So you're here now, you hear herbal medication, for example, are you drawn to it or are you not drawn to it in this moment? And I would like to open doors and windows so that you can make a more informed decision to say yes or no, because I really don't want anything to be dismissed because the worst thing is that we go through life, we dismiss a load of things because we don't quite believe in it because we don't know quite enough about it. But that means that our treatment options become very small then and our options of helping ourselves very narrow. And that gives, never leaves a good feeling. And that makes our hope very small. And I want our hope that there is something we can all do. I want that hope to be huge. And the more buckets we have with solid evidence-based facts that we can draw on, the better. Because I know we haven't always got The capacity to dip into all of those buckets at the same time. I know we don't have the energy for that. And so I think if all of those buckets were open and we believe that we had some hope into each of those buckets, then that's a really good enough start. So that then we, when we have a little bit of energy, we can dip into this on monday and that on tuesday and we can explore acupuncture on a wednesday and at least give it a go because by not giving things a go i think we're doing ourselves a big disjustice that's the best way to put it for me that dipping into all of those buckets meant different things i seek the help from a herbal medicalist which was brilliant and really really helpful i've been struggling with a lymphedema for many years ever since my breast cancer surgery and that often flares up in infections so I get nasty nasty infections in my left arm and they need to be treated with antibiotics for a long period of time and that never sits well with me because I don't want to be taking antibiotics but they're really important and they save my life when I take them and so working with the herbal medicalist to really help my lymphatics was important for me and And yes, of course, there was an aspect of there maybe being a placebo, but I'm a real believer that this is brilliant. And also, I felt active again, like I was proactively doing something to support my whole lymphatics. And so, in and also support my left arm, and that was really, really important for me. And so, I did and put my toes into more buckets, as you can see. And the last bucket is the bucket of avoiding triggers. Because as time goes on and I move into my postmenopausal danny for more and more time, I've realized that this is not a linear, oh, you're now in postmenopause, and you'll be the same forever. Oh, no. It's changing. I'm changing. I'm catching up with who I've become. I'm trying really hard to create the danny I want to become. And within all of this, gosh, sometimes things are thrown my way, just like I said earlier, that itchy- Skin is horrible. That burning mouth is terrible. I feel like times I've scolded my tongue on a hot cup of tea, but I haven't. It's a symptom of the menopause. That feeling of disconnect to myself, the feeling of lack of self worth, all of those things sometimes get wrapped up into my days and into my weeks. And it's important for me that I share them with you. What I've realized is that by working on triggers, That can really be helpful. And so often I had waking up in the middle of the night, going for a wee, not being able to fall asleep. Then I thought I had insomnia, couldn't get back to sleep. And that's horrible the next day. And then I'm really worried that, oh gosh, you didn't have enough sleep. Is that going to give you more health troubles? Because everyone bangs on about how important sleep is. But you know what sort of really helped me personally is not drinking loads of cups of herbal tea in the evening and not having loads of snacks in the evening. And I didn't realize that was going to have an effect on my waking ups in the night. But I did a bit of tinkering with when would I eat last in the evening? And so I decided not to eat any later, say than six o'clock in the evening. And as soon as I did that, I had my last meal and my last big cup of tea in the evening, say six or seven o'clock. It stopped me from having to get up in the middle of the night and because I didn't need to get up for a wee, I then didn't wake. And I can only put it down to that. And it was really interesting because there are many other things that I suddenly realise are byproducts of how we change things. And let me give you a few other examples. So when yoga clients come to me for a morning class, some of them say, gosh, I've got really ha- bad heartburn. And when I'm in a downward dog, I've, my heartburn or my sort of acid reflux gets worse. So naturally, these clients stop having maybe quite as much coffee before they come to yoga or they don't eat before they come to yoga. And they say that helps them in in having a better yoga practice. But what it also helped them is increase the window of their fast. So maybe they'll push breakfast back to after yoga. And that already alone makes them feel a bit brighter in their head. And some of them even say it helps them with having regular bowel movements And so it's not just the yoga practice alone that has the beneficial impact. It's the things that we put around changing up our routine. And together, they can have a real strong sort of impact in how we're feeling. And that's something I really want to sort of end on for my chat today. Because again, Dr. Anis Mukherjee talks about avoiding triggers very highly when she recommends how we can manage menopause after a cancer diagnosis and it's even things like having hot baths in the evening that can increase the severity of your night sweats or if you have loads of hot drinks or spicy food that can really trigger your response to your hot flushes or your night sweats and for some of us it's spicy food for others it's alcohol for others it's the things that happen when you implement other changes and then there are byproducts and The reason why I want to end on this is to know what are our triggers and how to avoid them. And to give that a little bit of um, a benefit or to try it out, we need to get to know ourselves better. And that is always hard because for a long, long time and many, many years, I have tried to get my old me back, the old Danny, the old version of who I was before I was diagnosed with cancer. And that wasn't ever going to happen because, gosh, this changes us, right? However big or small your cancer diagnosis was, however much it impacts you now, and I'm only guessing because I don't know who's listening, I reckon it's got a huge impact on who you have become and who you've been since then. And so I've started to look at who do I want to become? How do I want to look and feel when I'm in my 60s, 70s and 80s? No, I don't want to be this bitter, grumpy lady that picks on everyone. I don't want to be that person that just always looks at the negatives. No, I want to continue to open doors and windows for not just myself, but for all of us so that we feel we have more hope and more things to go by. And part of that meant I had to really get to know who I was and who I had become. And the more I got to know who I was, the more I could then, A, of course, know my triggers because if I really looked at when and how and why I was eating, I learned about myself and my diet became better just by asking those questions by really understanding what do I need from exercise? Are you so exhausted at the moment but you're still going to your hip workout classes and they just rob you of even the last bit of energy But then maybe we need to rethink Then maybe this version of you now needs a really nourishing tape of movement, of exercise. And so instead of feeding who we think we want to feed, we want to feed who we are because that self-compassion then comes in and self-compassion always asks us, what do you need? And the more we can do and give ourselves what we need, I think the better off we're going to be and the better we might function. And so that avoiding triggers has many learnings wrapped up in it. And definitely the learning I want to leave you to end this episode today is to get to know who you are today so that when you look at all of those buckets I have opened up for you in this short conversation, you can see if there is anything in any of those buckets that can nourish and give and feed a little bit of who you are today and and what you might need today. Because one thing is for sure, this menopause thing after cancer just keeps on giving and we might have symptoms one year, one month, and they might disappear and then new ones might come in. And so the more we stay in touch with ourselves and really checking in with ourselves on a regular basis, the more than we can continuously feed and nourish the version who you bring to your day with the energy that you have, the resources that you have. Hey, that's it. I think I might have forgotten buckets. If so, I put them into another episode. I really value all of your lovely feedback and your reviews and your ratings of the podcast. And I also value everyone emailing me. So if you want to email me and tell me about your journey, if you maybe want to share a little bit of your journey on the podcast, get in touch. And with that, I love you and leave you and wishing you a really good rest of your day.